0: Winning over fear and panic attacks. Betty was a 40-year-old housewife. She had four children. She was married to a successful professional. On her personal data inventory, that's, that's the information sheet that we, we give counselees to fill out before counseling. She qu- uh, responds to the questions, list fears that you have, everything. What's your problem? Depression, ear ringing, insomnia, anxiety. What have you done about it? Chiropractor, nutritionist, medical doctor, psychiatrist, books, prayed, read scripture. What do you want us to do? She just wrote one word. Help. She had just been put on Prozac by a psychiatrist. And she was from out of town. So we met, this was in another part of the country. We met for two hours at a time because she only had about a week or week and a half. So we met for two hours each session. The first two-hour session, she spent two-thirds of that session crying. She was afraid to go to the supermarket. She's afraid to go to church. She's afraid to walk around the block. She went to pieces emotionally when her husband traveled for his work, and she described herself as quote non-functional, and she was right. She wanted to blame, or some wanted to blame her condition on demons, on chemical imbalance, or mental illness. But Betty had a strong faith. And in the midst of all that she was going through, she was determined to trust God for the answer. She wrote, quote, I see problems as God getting our attention to tell us something in our lives needs to be adjusted, changed, before we go on. What a a statement. What a perspective. Fear is the opposite. um, This isn't her anymore. Fear is the opposite of love. It motivates through fright, terror, and worry, not through reverence, love, or respect. Fear can immobilize you. It can rob you of strength and resolve. It can become your God. Say, what do you mean? I I don't want fear. I hate fear. How can I become my God? It begins to control your life. It it, determines and your thoughts. It determines your emotions, your activities. It even influences and sometimes determines where you go, your friends, it impacts your worship, your service to others your use of money, your health. Fear can dominate all those areas. And at that point, functionally, it's become your God. It's who you answer to. When fear runs wild, the world calls it panic attacks. And you'll see me redefine that as we go along. It's really fear run wild. I was reading a book on depression, and he made an excellent point, and it's the same point applies here. In our culture today, we uh, have what he called discontinuity. What that means is you say, well, we, we have fear, and then a little more fear, and a little more fear, and a little more fear, all of a sudden, boom, we have a mental illness. You see what happened? We went from everyday experience, all of a sudden that experience becomes a mental illness. And for depression, he was saying, you have a mild depression, moderate depression, serious depression. And he said, it's a progression. But so many times we think of it in terms of, if someone said to you, I'm wrestling with panic attacks. Chances are, you'd say, where's the door? I need to be out of here. I don't know what to say to this person. But if they say, man, I'm just battling with fear. Oh, okay. My Bible talks about fear. I can do something about that. So think of it this way. It's it's not a qualitative difference. It's a quantitative difference. Okay, so if you give me five pounds, okay, I can hold that. 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 40 pounds, 50 pounds, 60 pounds, that's a quantitative difference now it doesn't all of a sudden become a mental illness it's just uh, I can't hold it any longer think of panic attacks that way in fact don't use that word the person is wrestling with fear now it's gotten out of control but it's not some strange critter that you've never seen or run into All right, we'll see more about that uh, yeah, the symptoms there on a, what's called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. That's just started out thin; it's now a big old thick book that uh, counselors have, and it it's, uh, tells you about all the mental illnesses out there. But if, if you ever run into that, and here, here's a distinction to keep in mind: distinguish between a description of a problem and a diagnosis of a problem. All right. If I say to you, well, he's manic-depressant, or he's bipolar, I haven't said anything about a diagnosis. What I've described to you, this guy has highs and he has lows. Okay? And what that DSM does, that, that, that manual, it describes problems. The world is very good at telling you the what what I see, but God said, man looks on the outer. Or uh, God said the same. Man looks on the outer man. God looks on the heart. Well, how do how do we find out about the heart? That's what the Word of God's about. Gives us that inside story, if you will. See, that's that's what the Bible t- teaches us. It's not only the what do I see; it tells us the why it's happening. So. Distinguish between someone giving you a description and someone giving you a diagnosis. Sadly, in our culture today, we are sticking these long tags on kids. Well, you're you a manic depressant, or uh, you have a personality disorder, or you're, you have, um, I don't know, a bunch of disorders. Well, that sticks on a kid, and it goes into medical files. And every doctor now that pulls, pulls that kid's file up on the computer starts off, oh, this, this child is depressing. This child is fearful. This child is anxious. He has a symptom. He has a diagnosis, or a syndrome. He has a mental illness. Lord, help us to get away from tags. I don't know a whole lot of tags because I I I never spent the time to try to learn all the names. I read them. I mean, I, I'm not totally ignorant of them. But I tell people when they come in, I said, I'm not going to counsel your tag. I'm going to counsel you. I'm going to ask you questions. And I'm going to work at defining what's going on from the word of God. That's Christian counseling. Okay, let me move on. Uh, you have some symptoms there. And that that's a fair... Uh, description of what a panic attack looks like, or uh, fear out of control looks like, you know, pounding heart, shaking, shortness of breath, not necessarily all of them in one person, Uh, chest pain, feeling dizzy, feeling of unreality, uh, fear of dying, all those things. But the name panic attack is misleading because it connotes that you're being attacked by something outside of yourself. Now, if you're out hiking, and you walk into a grizzly bear and he decides he wants you for lunch, that's an attack. That's a real attack outside you. But that's not what this is. This panic attack connotes something and implies something that renders you incapable of rational thought and action. And if you've ever experienced that or if you've ever known someone it has and you talk to them, they will tell you, you say, well, where did this come from? Well, I don't know. It's like catching a cold, you know? Well, who who, who you been with? Well, I don't know, I've been at school, a lot of kids. But listen, it's not that, We're, we're gonna talk, I'm gonna show you how to find out where this stuff comes from. It doesn't just come out of the blue. Now it does correctly describe the way you feel and it can get out of control. And it often feels like sort of a huge, clammy, cold hand that just clamps onto your heart, starts to squeeze, and your chest feels tight, and you can't, you know, you can't breathe right. You feel victimized. That's the experience of it. But it's not a diagnosis of the problem. We're responsible to address our fear biblically. It's not a disease. It's rooted in our spiritual battle with sin. Now listen, that's good news. I see people like, you tell me I'm a sinner? Graciously, we have to say, yeah. But listen, that's why Jesus Christ died. He died for sinners. We're all sinners. You might wrestle with fear. I might wrestle with uh, anger. You know, someone might wrestle with lust or worry, we all wrestle with something. We all sort of have our pet battles. So this isn't something out of the ordinary. That's the good news. It gives us hope that it's sin. We We can deal with that. The first step is to accept full responsibility for the fear. Now, you may not have caused what led to the initial fear, but we're always responsible for how we respond to that fear. So understand that. There's always two parts to this. There's what happened, that's one side, and there's how I responded, that's another. We're not, a lot of times, we're not responsible for what happens to us, but we're always responsible for how we respond. And that gives us hope. I talked to a woman one time, she had been in counseling for a year and a half, and she said, uh, Dr. Al, I I feel like I'm in a bag, and there's no way out, because she had been convinced she was a victim. Well, if I'm wrestling with fear, and I conclude that I'm a victim, then who has to change before I can get over my fear? You. You. If I'm the victim, and you're causing me to be fearful, you're making me be fearful, and what's the chance of all you changing, all you sinners changing, to treat me right? It's not going to happen. So that's where uh, victimization. I'd love to say when someone says, "Craig, it's not your fault; it's all their fault." Oh, thank you. That feels good for a while. Until reality sets back in and I realize nothing's changed. Victimhood robs of hope. Taking responsibility. And when she when she accepted responsibility, things changed. And she, re- she rejoiced. We live in a sinful world. There are times people get cancer for no reason at all. There's times people are in accidents. Someone gets T-boned by a drunk driver. There's all kinds of things that, that we had no control over. Or it could be something that we've done and we're responsible for. But regardless of what the or- origin of the problem was, we are responsible as to how we respond. And God encourages us and exhorts us. In Hebrews thirteen five. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What what did Jesus uh, cry out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The, The one who never sinned was forsaken so that those of us who sin and repent would never be forsaken. What a glorious thought. You see how salvation... And, and the scripture comes right into the counseling session. That's what it's all about. Presenting the gospel in, in a number of practical ways to these problems. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid, Hebrews says. Isaiah 41.10, one of my favorite verses. Fear not. And I like the New and standard translation on this. Fear not, for I am with you. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now those are promises we can get, grab a hold of and we can live by. You have other examples of promises there. The fear experience can be dismantled and attacked one part at a time. And we can learn to control it apart from drugs. I'm doing some work on, on depression right now and, and reading over a lot of comments on and medications and stuff. Even unbelievers that are tops in the field today talk about drugs and their side effects. Okay, so Roman numeral two. Now you'll notice the Roman numerals and the steps one and two don't coincide. So stay with me on that. Roman numeral two. Fear is is spiritual in nature. It can be good or it can be bad. Good fear results uh, in obedience and humility before God. Bad fear is that fear of man's circumstances or an irrational fear that hinders us from loving God or serving our neighbor, loving our neighbor. Interestingly, I find those two commandments, so much of counseling comes back to those two commandments, so much of it. And notice it's outward focused, not our inward focus. Fear A, fear resulting from sin began in the garden of Eden, Genesis 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man said to his wo- and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. And God said to Adam, why did you hide yourself? Adam says, I was afraid. Fear had set in. Guilt can lead to fear. It's not the only cause, but it can lead to it. Because guilt involves punishment. And that's one of the keys to understanding fear. Uh, down in B, uh, 1 John 4.18, therefore there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment and the one whose fears is not perfected in love. Why was Jesus not afraid? of the cross. Now, he didn't want to suffer what he suffered, but he wasn't afraid of it. Why do you think that was? Because Jesus had perfect love. And which way was love focused? Can you imagine? He's hanging on the cross, dying, suffering a tremendous pain. And he looks down at his mother. He says, Mother, your son, John, your mother. He's thinking about his mother. In the midst of that, he was outward focused. Fear, my friends, is inward focus. That's one of the chief points about this. You got to say that gently to people. But we have to say it. Fear is inward focus. I'll talk more about that in just a little bit. For example, before Adam sinned, he had a perfect loving relationship with God. There were no wrong wrong fears at that point. Once that relationship was broken, at least three things happened. First, he lost the sense of the protective love of God. Genesis 2, in the day that you eat from it, the tree, you shall surely die. He lost that protection. When he sinned. Second, he was guilty. God said, Have you eaten from a tree which I commanded you not to eat? Well, he was guilty. The answer was yes. And his focus became self-centered, not other-centered. Now, this is interesting. And this verse, I mean, a lot, a lot of understanding of this and a lot of things you can grab from it. But in Genesis 2:25, you ever been amazed? Says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Did you ever wonder? What's, what's that doing there? Well, well, God put it there. That means it's up to us to find out why. Well, there's some implications of that. In, because in, in, in uh 3 7, what does it say? It says, they knew they were naked and sewed fig leaves together and after adam sinned he said i was afraid because i was naked so i hid myself now understand for a second the difference here one day they're talking to each other no problem the next day they're ashamed i remember a story about two little creatures one had a blue square on his forehead, and the other had a blue circle on his forehead. They were good friends. They were talking to each other. And one day, one said to the other, Oh, that's a lovely square you have on your head. And I said, Square? I don't have a square in my head. I got a circle. Like yours. I don't have a circle. I have a square. They were other focused. And then all of a sudden they realized there was a difference and they became self-focused. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. There was no shame in their nakedness before each other or before God, by the way. There's a lot, a lot going on here uh, theologically. But once they began to focus on themselves, they realized the differences and they hid themselves from each other. And they hid themselves from God. So one of the key points is where is our focus, outward or inward? Fear is inseparably bound with our relationship to God. You can't effectively deal with fear apart from a saving relationship with God. Say, well, I know some non-Christians that aren't fearful. Well, you don't see it. Or they might be standing on, you know, ice saying, I got a firm foundation here. I'm just as, my foundation is just as solid as yours. You're standing on the shore. And the heat begins there. It gets a little hotter. And that firm foundation sinks. And if it doesn't sink before, it sinks at the gates of glory. The judgment. You cannot experience God's protective love. You can't be free from guilt. You can't escape self-centeredness apart from salvation. You just can't do it. We are sinners. And only by grace are we saved. Now today we're going to assume that that relationship is there. We're we're talking about Christians. And primarily we're going to deal with those irrational fears that sort of grip our hearts. And you can certainly draw a lot from, you know, on general fears of life. So the key truths. A, develop a proper fear of God. In Psalm 112, 1 and 7, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And then in verse 7, he will not fear evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. How do you face what's going on in the world in our country today? How do you face what's going on maybe in your own life? We got a God who loves us. We got a God who's in control. Things are not spinning out of control. Things are moving along right along as God has ordained them to move. And there there will not be one thing that happens outside of the will of God. You say, well, God's not the author of sin. No, he's not the author of it. But somehow, it's part of his overall plan. He did, he's not a sinner. He never sinned. But somehow, that's within his plan. And we can take confidence in that. B, you have to become other-focused rather than self-focused. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That doesn't say, and you shall love your neighbor and yourself. No, it says as yourself. It sets the standard. Okay guys, it's hunting season. How many hours can you spend getting the trailer ready, sighting your rifle in, making sure you have the right ammunition, making sure you waterproof the tent if you're gonna sleep in a tent, right? Waterproof your boots. That's a lot of time and energy, right? Loving yourself. Well, scripture says take that standard, and you wanna know how much time and energy and thought you ought to put into loving someone else? Just go down the checklist. So the first step, we're back to steps, accept full responsibility for your fears. Second step, recognize fear as self-centered. Now, that's hard. And that's hard to say to someone. And you don't, you know, someone comes in and says, oh, I'm just, your friend, you're sitting down across the coffee table or the kitchen table, whatever, or sitting on the uh, hay wagon, taking a break. And it's like, man, I just, I just wrestle with fear. Oh, well, your problem is you're just self-centered. <laughs> uh, no. No. Love your neighbor as yourself. How gentle can you be with yourself? How compassionate? How patient? How understanding? So we talk to them. And along the way, we help them see it. And we start helping them to see that that's self-focused. I'll I'll ask probably the uh, second, second session. I'll just, someone comes back in and say, so how was your week? Oh, it's doing good till Monday. And then, oh, it just broke loose. And I just, I had a panic attack. Well, let's talk about it. And vi- finally, I get down and I say, Well, let me ask you something. Who were you focused on? Now, sometimes they don't pick up on that right away. Uh, and I'll say, Were uh, you focused on yourself? Yeah. Well, by the second week, who were you focused on? I, I know, I know, I know, it was, I, I know. And you're just gentle with them and, and some. I I use humor a lot. You might notice that. I'll say, the old self got you, huh? Yeah, I'll join the club. It's tough. But, you know, you're talking, you're gentle with them. You're loving them. But you're getting the message of God's truth across. Dr. G. Adams in his little pamphlet is excellent. What do you do when fear overcomes you? And he contrasts fear and love. And you have two columns there. Fear is self-protecting. Love is self-giving. Fear asks, what am I going to lose? Love asks, what can I give to others? Fear moves away from the problem. Love moves toward the problem. Fear secludes self, withdraws. Love reaches out. Fear hesitates. Love moves ahead. Fear can be cast out by love that casts out fear. You see the contrast? There was a woman, he tells a story, that he was, and it actually led to him understanding and writing this pamphlet. She was fearful of crossing bridges. That seemed irrational. He's trying to figure out what, what's, what's going on here. One day she came in. Now, he's time to figure this out. And she says, Dr. Adams, you'll never guess what happened. Well, what happened? Uh, Wednesday. I'm at home, and the phone rings. I pick it up, and the man on the other end, sends, other end says, Hello, Mrs., uh, Mrs. Smith. Yes? This is Sergeant McAllister down at the PD. I wanted to call and let you know that your son was in an accident. He's okay, but he's at the hospital. Well, thank you. She hung up the phone. You know what she did? She grabbed the keys, got in the car. Boom, boom, boom! Three bridges, because that was the shortest way to the hospital. What's going on there? Her love for her son cast out the fear of bridges. Now I don't. She didn't go through all this in her mind, but essentially, what she's saying is. I don't care what happens to me. I'm getting to my boy. Don't get in my way. <laughs> don't get in my way, Bridge. I'm coming across. Perfect love cast out fear. It's such a powerful dynamic. See, you can't overcome fear by focusing on fear. Now, I'm going to give you a test. Anyone want to volunteer to take it? Okay. I'm going to tap my pen. And I want you (coughs) to tell me how many times I tapped my pen. Okay, you count them. But while I'm tapping my pen, I want you to quote Psalm 23 to yourself. Are you ready? Go. Go. And ask me, what's the point? The point is, you can't focus on those two things at the same time. You can't focus on your fear while you're trying to get rid of your fear. So I say, okay, Craig, stop, stop counting those, that pen taps and focus on the 23rd Psalm. Okay, the Lord is my shepherd. Stop focusing on a pen tap. tap. So stop. You can't forget about the pen while you keep reminding yourself to forget about the pen. Right? You can you you see that principle? What you've got to do is focus on what God is calling you to do. Focus on Fearing God by loving God and loving neighbor. See how we keep coming back to those two commandments? As you focus on that, one day, while you're trying to figure out, how am I going to get the kids picked up and get that meal over to Sally and John? Man, okay, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do that. You're thinking ministry. And all of a sudden, you say... Wow, I haven't wrestled with fear for five hours. And then as focusing on others, God and neighbor becomes a pattern, you get this, wow, I haven't focused on fear for five days. Now listen, it's not just, okay, learn the lesson, boop, no more fear, I'm good. No. What you're doing is you're developing a habit. A habit of thought. You're learning to think on these things, as Philippians 4 8 says. Okay. That takes time as you learn new habits, but you can learn a new habit. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. How many of you drive? Everybody? Okay. How many of you drive stick shifts? I don't know about you, but I remember my first time trying to drive a stick shift. <laughs> And then that crazy gear shift, I don't know how you got it from first into second. It's up there somewhere. You're jamming it up and down into third. Well, after about five months, I mean, you're using two fingers. When you used to use all, all your weight. What happened? You learn some new habits. You can learn new habits. Anybody know their phone number? I hope so. We can learn new habits, okay? We just have to have the confidence. I can learn new habits about life. But it takes work. It takes effort. But I can learn to focus more on God and my neighbor than I am now. Okay. So second step, recognizing fear is self-centered and seeking God's forgiveness and focus on loving God and man. Now, I hope I hope you're 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 sitting there thinking, "Wow, this doesn't seem that complicated." It's not. It's not. I'm not saying it's easy to learn. That's a different story. I can read a book on how to climb Mount Everest. I'll tell you what, doing it is a little different. Okay, it's more work. I can read a book about this and that. That's what we're doing here. We're reading the book, the good book. And we're learning the principles that it teaches us about life. And then we're implementing that. That takes time and work. That's why you want to be sitting under good preaching. Getting reminded every week. All right. Third step. Commit yourself afresh to the two great commandments. What would God have you do <clears throat> or what is the obedient thing to do? And then do it, regardless of how you feel. I'll never forget, this was dealing with depression, but it has a lot to do with feelings. They, they were interviewing Midwestern women, and you, you ladies would fit. And they noticed in the surveys that depression wasn't as much of an issue in the Midwest. So they're interviewing this lady. They said, well, of course, they're looking for this. Sophisticated answer. Well, ma'am, why do you think it is that Midwestern women aren't as depressed as other women in the country? Her answer, we don't have time to be depressed. (laughs) I'm serious. And there's a lot of truth in that. Because they were serving. They didn't have time to think about themselves. Uh, You ladies, right? It's calving time. Your husband walks in carrying a calf. Hey, honey, open the door to the bathroom. This one goes in the tub. Get that milk jar, would you? You don't have time to say, oh, well, i got to think about this. No. I mean, I'm playing around with this. But listen, this is serious stuff. You understand what I'm talking about. That's a biblical principle. It's so powerful. Now, I'm not saying farm ladies, Or in this podcast, never get depressed or never get fearful, okay? I'm not that naive. But there's a principle here to to see as we're involved in life and serving and ministering and honoring God in what we do, regardless of how we feel. Well, honey, I just scrubbed that whole bathroom today and I don't feel like you putting that calf in there and I don't feel like waking up every so many hours to stick that nipple in his mouth. No. And you can overcome your feelings. Right? You know that. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't like getting out of bed in the morning. I meet people, they just bow, oh, I can't wait for the morning. It's bound out of bed. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm glad the Lord blessed you that way. It's oh. It's time to get up right. But we get out of bed. Because we want to honor God, now we want to serve our family. So we got to act contrary to our emotions. Now, so understanding then uh, understanding the uh, dynamic of fear. This is the fourth step. Realize you control the situation. You have that uh, diagram with the downward spiral. Okay. On the As you look at your page, I forget what's all there. On the right-hand side, is, you want to write physical. And on the left-hand side, emotional. And then, so I'm going to use an illustration of, of a young man that was afraid to go out of the mall or go to the mall. In fact, he had gotten so fearful that he didn't go out of his, he lived with his older brother. He didn't go out of the apartment. And he didn't do anything in the apartment because fear had paralyzed him. He didn't prepare the meal for when his brother came home. He didn't clean. He was paralyzed. His thinking went something like this. He starts thinking about going to the mall. On the emotional side, oh man, the fear. If I go to the mall, I'm going to faint. Translate over to the physical side. The tension. I don't I don't I don't feel right. Okay? You've had it happen. Emotion something happens emotionally and affects you physically. Back over to the fear. Oh no. It's happening again. Translate to tension. My chest. My chest is starting to feel tight. Fear. Oh no. Well what am I gonna do? Tension. It's, it's getting hard to breathe. Fear. No. no. Not again. Attention. I I can feel my heart. I I can't control it. Boom. Passes out. Hyperventilates. Passes out. Notice what began when he feared originally it wasn't the issue. But he began to react to himself. Not the, not the mall. You see that? He was reacting what's going on in his body, not the mall, And his fear and his tension just bounced back and forth, one to the other, circling down, 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 boom, until till it overcame him. Now, what he needs to do, he needs to cut into that cycle with faith over fear. Or obedience over fear. He needs to refocus, not on himself, not on how he's feeling, not on his fear, but on the promises of God, on self-talk, on love, on trust, obedience. And here's where it's so beneficial. What does the psalmist say? Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. See what he's saying? When I start to self-talk, I gotta have answers for that stuff. Where do I get those answers? From the truth of the Word of God. So I start talking back to myself with the promises of God, with the love of God, with obedience to God. I get that self-talk going in a positive way. And that process And and what what I did with this young man, first, I I just got him and said, okay, now, I want you, this next week, I want you to prepare two meals for your brother. Start very slow. You don't have to do it all at once. Then I got him, okay, now, uh, this week, I want you to keep preparing those two meals. I want you to add a meal, and I want you to vacuum the, the apartment. We did that. Okay, this week, keep doing those things. I want you to walk into your block. Walk into your block. Then ask us, are there any older folks on, on your block? Yeah, yeah, this lady down the street. Do you ever see her carrying her groceries in? Oh, yeah, yeah, all right. I want you to watch. When you see her carrying her groceries in, I want you to go down there. I want you to carry those groceries in for her. Okay, we finally got him back to the mall. We got him back to driving in a car because he got his focus off himself. That didn't happen, ten, happen in 10 minutes. But we steadily built an outward focus into his life. Malls do not cause fear. It doesn't. They present a temptation to fear. Now, there is times to be fearful, all right? If someone says, hey, let's jump off this cliff. No, I'm afraid. That's no, a good fear. And that's not what we're talking about. Things present a temptation, but our response is our responsibility. It's our choice that we make. There's often an original experience that may be led to the fear, I'll talk about that a little more in the second hour. Uh, rather than trusting God. But one irrational fear can, can lead to others. And from fearing one a one-time experience to a, simply experiencing fear as a life pattern are two different things. So sometimes you can trace it back to a, a, an occasion that happened and then it sort of exploded from there. Sometimes you can't nail it down. Well, You know, if I'm on a job site and I see a piece of rebar that's been run over a couple times and it's all bent out of shape, I don't have to know how it got bent out of shape. All I need is a straight piece of rebar for my standard. We got the standard. We got the Word of God. Now, it's helpful, yeah, if, if you can find out why, but sometimes you can't. So just work to get lined up with the Word of God. Now, you have a fear diagram in there, a fear spiral homework, and you can use that. Uh, that's sort of, I, I went over that. That's basically what I went over. And the, the outline is there. So if you're working with someone, at some point, you can give them this. And you can ha- let them use that as homework. And it's amazing. I uh, I couldn't believe it. The consistency. When someone came in, yeah, I had, had a panic attack. One of afraid of, Uh, uh, going to visit her in-laws. I don't know why. No, well, I don't. Well, Thanksgiving's coming. And she came in after Thanksgiving. We planned on how to deal with it. She planned on what she was going to do. She came back and said, well, how'd you do? Not very good. Uh, What happened? Well, we left Chicago. And we were going up the road to Milwaukee. And we... uh, the closer we got, the more uh, fearful I got. And we were about five miles from my in-laws. I lost it. We had to turn around and go home. I asked her, when did you start thinking about the trip? Was it that day? Oh, no, no, no. It was a couple days before. Okay. And what what did you continue to think about? Did you think about the promises of God or were you thinking about your fear? Well, yeah, pretty much my fear. Oh, okay. And we just, I, I just walked her through this. And she, she just saw the downward spiral. When I'm thinking the tension, when I'm thinking the tension, when I'm thinking the tension, boom, take me home. Now we joke a little bit on this, but I'll tell you what, it's not a joking subject. These people are terrified. But walk, you can walk them right straight through it. What, you say, well, that's nice. Yeah, you just rehearsed all that for her. No. What, what you're showing the person is you control this. You can control this. You can intersect that downward spiral at some point. You're not being overcome by something out of the blue. Well, that gives hope. That gives hope. One one uh, woman I was counseling, she'd had a good job. She was on medical leave. She was a very productive person. Now she's living in her sweats on her couch all day long, most of the day. Go to bed at 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock. Lay there, her mind's racing till 1 o'clock. Finally fall asleep. Wake up terrified about 3 o'clock or 3.30. Couldn't go back to sleep. She lay there until everyone got up. Husband had to make the breakfast, get the kids out of the house. Finally, she got up. She went in laid on the couch. and That's where she spent her day. She was afraid of someone dying in her presence. Now with this lady, when she was a child, someone did die in her presence. And when she was a little older, in her teen years, someone else died in her presence. She had two or three people who died in her presence. And she was thinking about this and thinking about this. Pretty soon it became a fear and started to overwhelm her. And she was afraid of someone in the office dropping of a heart attack or a stroke. Now, in that case, we could trace it back. And as she saw the pattern, as we we developed this and saw, saw what she was thinking about, what she needed to think about, she, we got her back to work. She came in one day and she had a slacks and a blouse. She had always come in in sweats. I looked, I said, you look different, you're dressed. She said, I decided I planted this weed in my garden, and I'm gonna root it out. After that, it didn't take long. Once you get to that place, Okay, so fourth step. Realize you can control the situation. Once a person accepts that and personal responsibility, realize they control it, progress moves quickly. Now, consideration. If it's a serious case, consider meeting with the person twice a week to start with. Maybe even three times. But I had a number of cases. I was meeting weekly. I was working in Chicago. I had a number of cases, and I met with them. I said, now, listen, if something happens, you call me, okay? You call me. Well, wh- wh- what does our culture tell us? If something serious happens? Call the professional. So I'd get a call about a day or two before the, our next meeting. Hey, listen, I wanted to tell you we, we need to cancel our session. So oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Why? Well, my wife had a panic attack and and I had to take her into the hospital. Never saw him again. So consider a meeting on a regular basis to get sort of jump-started. Not like jump start right? Turn up to 50 amps. And then you can back off a little bit. Now, if if you get a phone call and you can't calm them down and you can't meet with them, it may be necessary to tell them to go to the hospital, or call 911. All right? This can be very serious. So, if for some reason you're not able to help them at that point, uh, going to the hospital is not the best solution. But listen, we need to protect the person. And so, you know, don't don't try to be a hero because if something, if that person does something very foolish and hurts themselves or hurts someone else, you don't want to have to live with that. So you do what you can to be responsible, but if you have to, have them call a doctor, get them some medication to calm them down, have them call the hospital, 911. All right. The fifth step is dissect the experience, noting unbiblical thinking and actions, and replace them with biblical actions and thinking. We are going, I'm going to walk you through a, uh, a, a study that I put together And God has blessed that. I've got some real nice blessings out of this. I'm going to walk you through that step by step of how you can sit down with a friend or someone else and ask if they'd be willing to go through a Bible Bible study with you. Okay? That's next hour. So questions? Beer? Yeah. I in my experience, yes. Uh men in a fearful situation tend to get angry. They're gonna fight in that way. Women I think more internalize. That's just my experience. I have known men wrestled with it, but I've known more women. Um, they couldn't me I okay. Yeah. But when it was over, I was fine. I, I had I had one case and she was wrestling with fear and panic attacks and we could not get to the bottom of it and then she had had something uh, some operation sort of emergency operation she had to have because something was going wrong inside and she had the operation and after that she said she was fine I can't explain it I, I don't I don't know if if somehow she sensed that something was wrong with her body. I, I don't know. Uh, and I, I don't know, you know, without, without more details. Yeah, I'm glad you got over it. Uh, but I, I, I do know that, the, let's just say, the great majority of panic attacks that I see and I've experienced with follow the pattern here, pretty much that, I mean, there, there is a root Something, there's a cause somewhere. I'll say that, even with your situation. Something triggered that. Uh, it's, not, it's not like a cloud settles over and we have no idea what's going on. We, yeah, and it does, it does. Yeah. What triggered that? I don't know. But I, I think the key is there was a trigger somewhere. And that that gives us hope. Otherwise, it's kind of like a cold. You know, kids at school, you send them to school with a prayer. (laughs) Hope no one has runny nose. Uh, But, yeah. So whether we can identify not, I just think that there there is a trigger. That's, that's, That's my conviction. Now, I'm not doubting your experience. But I'm just saying somewhere, something, I don't know. I'm glad you got over it. Any other questions? You know, I always hate Q and A's because the guy finishes, or girl, lady finishes the lecture and I got all this information going on in my head and I haven't sorted it out yet. Are you have any questions? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, give me a chance to think. <laughs> yeah. Yes, in the back. Well, the, when, when we get to those things we can't control, that's where faith and trust kick in. And so, I mean, there's a lot of things in life we can't control. I mean, good heavens, you ladies that have children, you go to the hospital, how much can you control? Well, there are some things you control, but a lot of it you can't. My wife, we had, our first three or four kids, the first three are boys, at the end of the birth of a third boy, she had spent a total of one hour and seven minutes in the hospital. <laughs> I think the first was like 10 minutes. Then she had a long one, it was uh, 40, and whatever the rest is, a division there. <laughs> a lot of things you can't control. But see, again, come back to your question. We can control our response. That's the one thing we can control, and that's where our focus has to be. Yes. Is is she a professing believer? Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough, because that that's where I was saying, you know, apart from God, we truly cannot. Overcome fear. We got to get outside ourselves and and bless her heart, but she needs to get outside herself. She she needs. Yeah, I know. And then it becomes well, I'm I'm when I wake up, so you take something to wake up. And then I'm upset. I mean, yeah, it it just. I counseled a woman that was on thirteen medications. And I had her committed right out of my office. I had a, a friend of mine who ran the psych ward at Forest Hospital in Chicago. She shuffled into the office. She didn't walk. She could not hold a co- co- coherent, she couldn't form a coherent sentence. She was literally dying on medications. Now that's an extreme case. It is. But We got her in the hospital and got her dried out to three in two weeks. We got her down to two medications. But Well, the sad thing is, uh, people are told, well, that, listen, this, 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 I, this is a low dose, you know, and, and medication, well, yeah, that's, that's what you do for mental illness, you see, and so they, they start you on medications, and pretty soon it's not working, and they admit that, they admit that. Well, listen, that's, that's not a problem, we, we start you on a low dose. We'll just up that medication level. Well, then after a couple months or whatever, that medication is no longer working. And they're not sure why. I mean, This is the secular saying this. So, well, there's a new medication out that a lot of people are having success with. Let's try that. I mean, you know, you didn't get into this overnight. You're not going to get out of it overnight. So pretty soon, that was not quite working. Well, sometimes these things are really tough. So we we got a combination of medications that they've been working with. Well, where does that stop? And there's no hope. I'll bet you 10 to 1, she's depressed. Yeah. Sure. She's lost hope. She's lost hope. I had a fellow come in one time and he was on medications and I told him, I said, listen I think you can have victory over this but it's going to be tough it's going to be a fight and you go, but you can come off your medications So you got a choice to make he sat there for a while he looked at him and said, I think I'll just stay off the medications it's hard when you know you have the answer, but you see you see the, the, the uh, ugliness of sin, how it blinds us, how how sin just blinds us. It, it, we we wrestle with that, don't we? Yeah. All of a sudden, you sort of and think, I can't believe I've been doing this. <laughs> well, we grow, we grow. Any other questions? Yes. Well, uh, Blake, don't run away. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to recall verses like when someone says, what's his name? Well, you, you have the promises. I, I, will, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Fear not, for I am with you. Uh I'm 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 going to get them. Start, you want to get them started on memorizing those verses as soon as you can. And sometimes, uh, you know, just like you know, say, "Well, what's her name?" Oh, you know it. Well, that happens when you're wrestling with something. So, just get a three by five card or your phone or something, and put the put the appropriate Bible verses on there. And say, "Okay, when fear starts to overcome, whoosh, you can tell how old I am." Whip out the three by five <laughs> or whip out your cell phone and go to those verses and just start quoting them. And As you learn them yourself, listen, I, I wrestle with some of this stuff. For, I don't know for what reason. I'll, I'll get up, i wake up sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes like three o'clock and, you know, you make your trip. Come, I'll come back and lay down. And it's just like, like this cloud. You know, you're half awake, half asleep. And this cloud just sort of seems to descend. And I'm, I start thinking about the day and I, with the responsibilities and things I got to do. And I got to fight. I got to consciously fight. Oh, what are those scriptures? And I start, you know, memorizing the scriptures, trying to put my mind somewhere else. So this, I mean, this is, these are practical things whether you're wrestling with panic attacks or not. Uh, there's times we just have to fight the battle. And, Pull those passages out. I would never leave you nor forsake you. Then start thinking, what does that mean? And one, I've used, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not have a need that he doesn't meet. He's the good shepherd. What are the implications of that? And start meditating on that. The Lord is my shepherd. How does he shepherd me? What promise? So, yeah, just back. At that that point, the promises are better than commands. Well, I I forget who it was. (laughs) Someone that was nationally known. And I forget who it was, but he was on a plane and they were having trouble. And he stood up and he said, okay, we're having engine trouble. If this plane goes down, I'm going up. Which way are you going? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I've never been quite that bold. Yes, ma'am. And so, again, we can't control what happens to us, but we got to focus on our response. That's the key. Anyone else? Okay.